Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Um, Father's Day is a good day for us to celebrate those who are fathers who have raised children and those who have helped raise grandchildren, uh, those who are spiritual fathers too. I think of the men who took me alongside them as I was younger and brought me up in the faith. I'm thankful for them as well. But I'm also aware that Father's Day can be a hard day, as there are some, even in our body here at Grace, who have lost fathers this year. And while they live on in memories and we can celebrate those memories, it's still a difficult day. And so uh, part of, I think, the providence in God leading us to Second John for today is that it gives us some ways to localize, to bring to bear the teachings of John's gospel and the first letter of John to individual lives and congregations. And so if you know someone here at Grace who struggles on a day like Father's Day because of what they've gone through, walk alongside them, be with them in this time, celebrate that memory with them, and love on them, even in the midst of it. Well, today we are continuing our summer shorts series, looking at the shortest letters of the New Testament and what they might be telling us today. And we continue with the second letter of John. Second John, just 13 verses, very short. I'm going to cover the whole thing, or at least I'm going to try to. Um, only one letter shorter than this one, and we'll look at that next week, so why not try and get through all of it? So if you have a Bible, could you take that with me? And uh, yes, thank you. I love to hear that. That's right. I've missed that in this world of online watching when I'm by myself and I cheer and I'm the only one that hears and the kids are like, Dad, what are you doing? I said, I miss it. So it's good to hear it today. Second John, we're going to look at all 13 verses if you will follow along with me. The elder to the elect lady, and there I think he's talking about the church that he's writing to. He's just talking metaphorically about it. The elder to the elect lady and her children, you, me, those that are part of this congregation, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. 
Such a one is a deceiver and antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me, if you will. Lord, Son of God, have mercy on us, for we are sinners. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts this morning be pleasing to you, our rock and redeemer. And this morning, God, grant that we may desire you, and desiring you, we may seek you, and seeking you, we may find you, and finding you, be satisfied in you forever. Amen. This is a very important book to me. You can't tell what it is. I've not told you about it, but this is a very important book as this is one of my wedding albums has pictures of my wife and I and all the things that were going on. And in fact, we have multiple memorabilia from that day because it was a pretty important day, right? We were there, we got to experience it, but we also have a video that gives us the play-by-play of everything that was going on, right? I know everything that I said. There's a record of it there. But it's still important for us to have wedding albums. And the things that I like most about the wedding albums are the little notes, the little captions that we have on there that tells us this is what was really going on when Cliff made that strange face, right? That's the kind of thing that's going on because it's easy, even when you were there and you see the video, for something different to be interpreted from it, right? Let me give you an example. About halfway through our wedding ceremony, Beth and I had exchanged our vows and the first thing we wanted to do was to pray together. And so we, uh, we knelt down in front and we were praying. And if you're watching the video, right, the play-by-play, you see people from the back, and I'll turn this way so you can see it, and you just see shoulders doing this, right, like that. And you're like, oh, it's so sweet. They're crying because this is the first thing they've done. They've prayed together as husband and wife. And then you get to the wedding album. And what you realize when you see the caption in the wedding album is that those people in the back weren't crying, they were laughing. Because on the sole of my shoes, my brother, the best man, had taken scotch tape, not scotch tape, uh, uh, duct tape, and wrote the words, help me, on the soles of the shoes. So when I knelt down to pray, those souls were there for everyone to see. And people are standing up and they're looking. And you would think, what a sweet time. No, they were laughing, right? And you get that from the album. Now, why do you tell me this story? Because I think the question that has intrigued me this week about 2nd and 3rd John is, why do we even have these letters, right? 
I write you 20 lines in a letter. Nobody's going to have that thousands of years from now, but we have these two small letters, and I think it's because of their relationship with 1 John and the Gospel of John. You see, the Gospel of John tells us the eyewitness account of Jesus's life and ministry from the perspective of his disciple, right? It's like my wedding video. You can see the things that are going on. First John is often like the wedding album, right? It's like, let me remind you of the things that were in the gospel. Love, light, truth. The captions tell us from First John how we should read that because we can misinterpret it, right? Even First John begins, there are those who deny that Christ has come in the flesh. And so 1 John reminds us, like a good wedding album, this is what was really going on there. We saw him. We touched him. He was with us. And then you get to 2 and 3 John, and I think 2 John and 3 John are kind of like the words that I told my brother on the way out to the wedding ceremony. I said, I'm glad you're here with me to experience this because we all know that this was a long road. Little did I know what was about to happen in 20 minutes when I knelt down to pray and that he was the one responsible for that. I still said those words, and he and I remember that ahead of time, and we can talk about it. 2 John is the cover letter that goes with 1 John to the church and says, these are the teachings in 1 John that you love one another. Here's how you should do it in your congregation. It's so easy uh, for us to read the gospel of John or 1 John and say, that's such a great story. That's wonderful. But 2 John forces us to say, how then shall we live here at Grace Fellowship on top of the hill in Kingsport, Tennessee. So today's message for the rest of the time is going to be something like a fireside chat. So those of you who are watching online, pull up close, right? Get comfortable. Uh, We're going to talk about life in particular here with each other at Grace, right? Those of you who are joining us and are part of another congregation, take the words and employ them in your own congregation because this is important for us to localize this. The great themes of 1 John are recalled in 2 John, right? Those themes like light, 1 John 1, 5 to 7, right at the beginning. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Fellowship with one another. That brings it down to this local level. And Second John is the way that this author can say, now you go and do that in your congregation. But not just light, love. And I think those are the two things that structure all of John's gospel. The first half of John's gospel is about light. The second half of John's gospel is the love shown most clearly on the cross in Jesus's death and resurrection. And 1 John picks this up as well in 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Because love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. In 2 John, 
we get this localization, this bringing to bear in a very specific place how those twin themes of 1 John should be read and understood and most importantly, lived out in this congregation. And all of 2 John is about movement, whether it's movement together or movement out or movement in or movement with. And so I want you to notice all the different ways that 2 John encourages us to be aware of where we are walking and how we are walking with one another. And the first thing that encourages us to do is to walk together in love. Nathan mentioned this in his call to worship, and I think I'm going to bear down on it just a little bit because we ought to do that, right? 2 John 1, 5, you can look at it there with me. Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. I think the author there is saying much what Nathan did. This is what Christianity is, love of God and love of others. This is what we have had from the beginning. Notice what the author does here, right? He switches the singular and plural on us, doesn't he? This is love that we walk according to the commandments, plural. And this is the commandment, singular, that you walk in it. What's the it? Love. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. On this hang all the law and the prophets. Not me, Jesus. And yet, love isn't what we really want to walk in. Love is what Jesus told his first disciples to walk in, and it's not what they wanted to walk in either. What did they do when Jesus was telling them to put others before themselves? Luke 9, 46 tells us an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. And we still do that. We're challenged with a new perspective, but we put our voices in it. We don't see the world the same way that other brothers and sisters in our very congregation see it, and we think that we are closer to the truth than they are. Self-justification goes right alongside judging another's perspective. But if the gospel is a justification by grace alone, then that goes right alongside serving others and understanding them where they are. We want to be right. We want to be strong. We want to be first. We don't want to love, not in the way of Jesus and his love. So this is where I'm going to spend most of my time this morning asking the question, because this is what Jesus did to me over the last couple of weeks. What does it look like to love one another? What does it mean to walk daily over and over in loving one another? And I want to pick up on some things maybe that we don't always equate with that. And so one of the first characteristics of loving one another is one that's incredibly hard, at least for me, 
holding the tongue. We love one another by holding our own words to ourselves. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You see, when we say, I want to be strong, I want to be the greatest, as the first disciples did, we think we know the answer, and we let that known, right? I know the answer, I get this, I've read this, I know what to do here. But to love, we need to just sit back and watch what God is doing in the first place. We combat evil thoughts and evil desires most effectively when we don't ever give voice to them. You see, when we say that what we know is right over against someone else, we're already saying you should act in the way that I say you should act, right? We're already judging them and justifying ourselves. But we must remember Always, we must remember, God has gotten there before we do. God has already been working in the life of your brother and sister in Grace Fellowship Church before you ever get there with your word of wisdom, before I ever get there with my word of wisdom. And so it helps us to slow down and to watch and to look and to see what God is doing before we ever get there. And that might help us go a little bit of the way towards the second way of loving others, and that is meekness. This isn't something we like to talk about. We don't really understand what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, because we think, oh, that just means somebody's going to run over us, right? We're going to be too gentle for them. But to have no opinion of ourselves to think not highly of ourselves and to think always well and always highly of others in our church body is actually quite wise, full of wisdom. At least I think that's what Paul thought. Romans chapter 12 says, everyone among you should not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. It's easy to do when we're faced with something that we don't always know. We try and read up on it or listen to one person or another, and then we've become the expert. But Jesus is quite clear that his kingdom is populated not by experts, but those who are meek and gentle, which I take to mean those who have learned to live without protection. Those who have learned to live without shields up when someone tells them, that hurt me. Someone who's learned to live without having to justify themselves because they understand that when they need to be corrected, it's still God working in their lives. Gentleness is not something, meekness is not something that we ought to strive for it's something that we should learn that if we are part of God's kingdom we will be characterized by gentleness more and more as we see God working in us and in those around us because 
the very triumph of God in the world comes on the very meekness of a cross. A gentle Savior who did not fight back. A gentle Savior who had a crown of thorns. A gentle Savior who said, they know not what they do. Live in the way of Jesus. The one who is meek says, never me, but always God. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the great German Lutheran pastor during the, world, uh, the Second World War, said, if my sinfulness appears to me to be in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sins of others, I'm still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. But not only should we hold our tongue and be gentle and meek, we should listen. Listening is key to loving others. James 1.19, this one's tough, at least for me. Know this, beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. If love for God is keeping his commandments, then part of our regular rhythm in our life should be listening to God. What is the commandment? What is in your word? Let me understand your statutes. Let me be satisfied by your word in the morning. And to find those commandments beautiful. God does not give us something to do that is ugly or evil. They're beautiful. It's a beautiful way of life. So also, if that's loving God, loving others begins by listening to them, just like we listen to God, to understand them, to find them beautiful. Who they are, where they are, because God is working in them in that very place. This is a a hard thing for me, listening. I've worked at it, so I hope now I'm better than I was before. But, but it's hard for me. And in fact, when I'm working on it, uh, someone will come to me and say, is, is everything okay, Cliff? You haven't said much today. <laughs> and they're making sure that I'm okay. But what I'm really trying to do is hold my tongue and listen carefully. If I were to do that more frequently, maybe they wouldn't think something was wrong with me when I was listening to them, right? My daughter, Caroline, really put this at home to me when we were talking about it last week. And she said, Daddy, I think that's why God gave you two ears and only one mouth. Out of the mouth of babes, right? Two ears. It's just a good reminder for me. Listen, double the amount that I talk. My daughter, Caroline, she helps me write my sermons. But not only listening, we have to be ready to act on it, right? Once we understand those commandments, then we find them beautiful. The, the next thing is helpfulness. Helpfulness is a characteristic of loving well. If we say that we are the greatest then what I do in my daily life becomes most important. 
This work is significant. This work that I do is urgent. This work that I do is important. But when we show love to one another, we know that before that, God's work is important. We have to be willing to be interrupted in our lives by God. Do we consider our work? This is a good question. This one hit me. Do we consider our work so important and so urgent that we are unwilling to be bothered even by God? Because there is nothing that you do that is so important that God should not be able to interrupt it. A couple of weeks ago, we found out we were going to be going to the beach last week, which, yoo that's great, right? Um, but I had a couple of deadlines that I had to get done. A deadline um, for the sermon, a deadline for another project that I was working on, and I got a call from my oldest daughter. She said, Daddy, would you come? We're putting on our swimsuits and we're going in the lake. It's the first day. It's, not, it's been raining for three days. We just want to spend a couple of hours with you at the lake. And I didn't go. I know you're shaking your heads at me. Shame on me. But in that moment, my deadlines were too important. My work was too important. I've got to get this sent off. I've got to get the sermon done. And God, who was prepping me for this pain before Father's Day, said, no, it's okay and better to spend a couple of hours with your kids. So you get two hours less on these deadlines. I was too unwilling to be interrupted by God in the still whisper of his voice that day. We can't feel that we are most important. And then finally, a way of loving others, bearing them along. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Short, pithy. But what is the law of Christ? Romans chapter 13, verse 8, owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love one another and you fulfill the law. When I hear, or at least in the past when I've heard, bear one another's burdens, I'm thinking of some issue that they have that they need help with, right? That they, they need someone to come alongside them and to help them out. We've seen examples of this during the pandemic we, we need to come alongside them and help them get groceries, make sure they've got all of the supplies that they need, and so on. But I also think that one of the things that Paul is encouraging us to bear is that person themselves. Because it's very easy, well, I think it's very easy for us to think of someone in this congregation that just irritates us. I mean, we just, we just, they have the freedom to be who they are 
and God is working on them in that very spot. But they don't see eye to eye with us on little things that make a difference to us. And yet we are in this place at this time together, dealing with the same problems together. How do we serve our community in the midst of a pandemic? How do we work on reconciliation in Kingsport, Tennessee in the year 2020? Because the way we work on it is going to be different than the way they work on it in Washington, D.C. or Seattle, Washington or Hong Kong or Australia or anywhere else we go. Both of those issues. And our key is to bear down where we are. And in order to do that, we have to bear together with those who are sitting next to us. Look around. These are the people that we are with here and now. And it would be easy for us to read 1 John or John's gospel and think, I just have to do this with my small group. I just have to do this with the five people that I get along well with and can go have dinner with. No. Everyone in this congregation is called to the same task, in the same place at the same time, and we must bear with one another. Because that person that irritates you is not going to stop irritating you tomorrow. But God is still working with them and he's not going to stop. And after 10 years, maybe you can get within six feet of that person, right? And after 15 years, maybe you can get within two feet. And then ultimately you're going to realize that if God can do that on them, he can do it on you too. Because you're just as irritating to the person over there, right? I speak from experience because many people tell me that I'm irritating. Again, I'm I'm quoting from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran pastor. And this one I think should be up there. The Christian must bear the burden of a brother, right? We're not in this with strangers. We are brothers and sisters even when we irritate, most especially when we do. It's only when he is a burden that another person is really a brother and not merely an object to be manipulated, to change and to be from our perspective. The burden of men was so heavy for God himself that he had to endure the cross. God truly bore the burden of men in the body of Jesus Christ. But he bore them as a mother carries a child or a shepherd enfolds the lost lamb that has been found. God took men upon himself They weighted him to the ground, but God remained with them and they with God. It's very, very quickly that we can see one another's faults. But to see the virtues in other people, to see the things that God is doing in them, to learn how to know and love them takes time. And so one of the things that I think John is telling us in this letter when he tells us don't move beyond this commandment is he's encouraging us to remain faithful to one another because it's going to take time. That was a long time, wasn't it? Let's move to the second point, right? How about that? We'll go faster through this. But not only does he say that we need to walk in love, He says, there are some among you who are walking out of the church. 
That's what he said uh, in verse 7, right? For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Joel mentioned that a couple of weeks ago in 1 John, so I'm not going to rehash that, but I want you to catch what he says in the next phrase. Verse 8, watch, not them, not where they're going, not what they're doing, watch yourselves. Watch yourself and your brothers and your sisters so that you don't go the same way. This warning is not about those people who've gone out. This warning is about me and you. Remain in love and watch out that you don't follow suit. Again, John is localizing. He's bringing in the message of 1 John and the gospel of John for this congregation, just like I'm telling you. Watch yourselves. Watch the people around you that we don't do the same thing. Third, not only can you walk in love and walk out of the church, but it's possible to walk past the teaching of Christ. That's what he means when he says in verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead, who, who progresses beyond rather than abiding in the teaching of Christ. Because you cannot go past it. One of my favorite words in all the Bible is the word of. It seems strange, but I like it because Greek, that the New Testament was written in, works a little bit differently than English does. In English, we got all kinds of prepositions, about, under, around, in. But in Greek, they just put everything in that word of. So when he says abide in the teaching of Christ, he certainly means the teaching about Christ, right? That he came and we saw him and he was in the flesh and he died, was crucified and raised again, defeating death, defeating the enemy, defeating sin and giving us the means by which to live, right? That's the teaching about Christ. That's the teaching of Christ. But I think he also means abide in the teaching that comes from Christ, right? The teaching by Christ or of Christ. Don't ever try and move beyond the stories that Jesus tells, the prayers that Jesus prays, the actions that Jesus gives throughout the Gospels. If there is any text that somebody were to say, what book of the Bible would you want if you could only have one in the New Testament, it would be the Gospels because it tells us what Jesus says and what he does and how he prays. And he's not long-winded like I am. He just tells short stories. And he says, the kingdom of God that you are a part of is as small as a mustard seed. But one day that will be the largest tree and everybody, all the birds will nest in its branches. And that is still going on with you and with me today. That's what all of this is about. Don't try and go beyond, because when you go beyond or past the teaching of Christ, then you actually don't have the power to do the things that I mentioned earlier in loving one another. 
Eugene Peterson was a pastor for many years in Baltimore, Maryland, and he said this, and I quite like it. This is who you are. This is your very identity. You are loved by God. But being loved is not all there is to it. Being loved creates a person who can love, who must love if that person is going to be fully human. Getting loved is a launching pad into giving love. Don't move beyond the teaching of Christ about him and from him because it's in that that we see that we are loved by the God who is love. And if we are loved, even in our wretched conditions, we can love. If God can love me, then I know he can love you and I want to help him do that. Finally, walk toward others. I love how he ends this letter. So many things I can write to you, but I don't want to use pen and ink, right? I want to come to you and talk face to face. That's what we say. This writer had a different idiom. He says, I want to be there mouth to mouth, right? Too bad we think of resuscitation or something like that. He says, I want to be with you face to face in person. Why? Why? So that our joy may be complete. This is hard for an introvert like me, but let me confirm to you the fact that joy and love can only be complete in you in fulfilling this long journey of walking with others. You can't do it on your own. If you try, you will fail. Walk with others. So as Kyle comes back, I want to give you just a few concluding thoughts. Remember that 2 John is a letter that were it not related to 1 John and the Gospel of John, I'm not sure we would still have. But it gives us a way of looking at it at the local level. What are we doing with each other? And I'm asking you that in all of this movement, we understand that we have been placed in a position of stability. We are in this for the long haul. So be in it for the long haul with the people who are around you, every single one of them, not a select few, in the daily walking in love, uh, walking and loving one another. We're in it for the long haul. Uh, earliest Christians had a word for this. They called it stability. It's that, that ability to understand that God has placed you in a particular time in a particular place with particular people. And remember... It's, it's easy in 1 John to see that Jesus is the truth and without him we don't understand anything. But remember that John 14, 6 says that Jesus is not only the truth, he's also the way. And I don't think that that is primarily meant as an evangelistic statement. It doesn't just mean that Jesus is the only way to God. It means that Jesus shows us the way to live. The stories that he told, the prayers that he prays, this is the way to live. We've tried to uh, offer up some opportunities for us to serve in that spirit over the course of this summer in the various ways that we're serving here at GFC. And finally, in the spirit of Diedrich Bonhoeffer saying that we need to remember that we're the worst sinner we're ever going to meet, um, ground yourself 
each and every day in God's mercy. Because his mercies are new to you. You, individually. Not just to us, but to you, every day. I want to close with some lyrics that my daughter was playing on about level 35 on our phone during chore time last week. But it was a song that I hadn't heard in a while. It's a song called Thy Mercy. It was popular back when I was growing up, so you've probably not heard of it. But listen to these words. Let them sink in. We've got them up here. Thy mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue. Thy free grace alone from the first to the last has won my affection and bound my soul fast. Without thy sweet mercy, I could not live here. Sin would reduce me to utter despair. But through thy free goodness, my spirit's revived. And he that first made me still keeps me alive. Thy mercy is more than a match for my heart, which wonders to feel its own hardness depart. Dissolved by thy goodness, I fall to the ground and weep for the praise of mercy I found. And here's the kicker, the last phrase. If we get this, God's love for us, then we can love others. Great Father of mercies, thy goodness I own in the covenant love of thy crucified Son. All praise to the Spirit whose whisper divine seals mercy and pardon and righteousness mine. Ground yourself in God's mercy. Because apart from it, there is no hope. But with it, we can love others by listening and heeding and comforting. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.